Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and joining me today is Caroline Deason. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Dylan. How are you? I'm feeling a little embarrassed by the enthusiasm of my greeting. <laughs> Now, tell me, Caroline, is there anything interesting you've been watching on uh, Netflix recently? Yes, I've been watching uh, Black Books. It just was added to Netflix recently, as you know, because you wrote about it. Um, And I love that show. I highly recommend it. But I do warn you that it's going to make you want to drink. If you have never watched it before and you're just (laughs) watching it stone cold sober, you're going to get thirsty. All right, well, the movie that we are here to talk about is 1998. Well, you're already laughing at it. Griffin Dunn non-classic borderline bomb practical magic. So the ways that Netflix describes this movie, first of all, the less fun one, when you click on the movie, it says, in director Griffin Dunn, as though we know who that is, (laughs) in Griffin Dunn's romantic comedy, sisters Sally and Jillian are modern day witches whose love lives are complicated by an unusual curse. Sounds so innocent. Yeah, and I feel like that's not a bad description of the movie, and it's it sets you up for what's going into it. Sure. For the jumbled mess that is this movie that's about the straightest line <laughs> that you can get into it. The the hover description is a little bit more troubling, a little bit more upsetting. It says, thanks to their powers, things come easy to these sisters, except keeping a man alive, that is. <laughs> I didn't see the hover description. Oh, okay. I did see the regular description, and I disagree with it entirely, but anyway. What did, let's hear it. I went into this movie expecting... I'm I'm the worst media witch when it comes to, you know, understanding how witches are portrayed in the media. I will full out admit that right now. I haven't seen Hocus Pocus. I haven't seen The Craft. Uh, the only other witch movie I've seen, other than this one now, is uh, the Roald Doll, the witches right. movie, which I only saw on a plane when I was like six, and my mom was covering my eyes for most of it. As she should be. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not an appropriate movie. It's straight up nightmare fuel. <laughs> so, going into this one, thinking about, okay, this is Sandra Bullock and uh, Nicole Kidman. This is the late 90s, you know, when witches and movies were so hot, and... I obviously had no idea who the director was, even though that description also led me to believe, like, oh, maybe he's famous and I had no idea. Nope. No, he's this definitely like not. his second movie. Um, do you know what he's directed recently? No. For, uh, movie 43. Oh, yes. He's yeah, responsible he, he, he did for a, that. He did a segment in Movie 43, yeah, which I watched, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, but going into this one, my, the one kind of witch media thing that I am very well versed in is the 60s show Bewitched. Okay. I love that show. It's everything that is great and wrong with the 60s at once. It's fantastic. And so reading that description, I thought, okay, cool. It's like Bewitched, but set in the 90s and everybody's going to be wearing cooler clothes. And there's not going to be the annoying Durwood character. That's not at all what I got out of this movie. Within the first, like, 20 minutes, I was kind of lulled into like a weird, okay, this is obviously a fairy tale, you know, suspension of disbelief even more so than more most witch media type things, melodrama aplenty, but this movie got so dark so quickly in a way that was so flippant that I had an intense emotional response to it that made me have to stop the movie for a while. 
And I think that that description really does not give you any indication that you're up against anything like that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that that speaks to the movie not really understanding what it's trying to do in Definitely. terms of tone. It's it's a little confused about itself. Netflix chooses to suggest that the categories this movie belongs to are comedies, which it sometimes is. Sure. Uh, romantic comedies, which again, it would have to be if you it, if it, you seed comedies, it would have to be romantic comedies. Yeah, and uh, romantic movies. The the moods are it's described as romantic, debatable, <laughs> and feel good. Uh, often not. <laughs> often the opposite. Often, feel bad. Often feel bad. <laughs> okay, so first and foremost, we started talking about the the tone and the the very confused. Tone Did you hear what Roger movie? Ebert said about this movie? No. Okay, so his his kind of you know one line review of this movie that they plug on IMDb and things like that the is one that's that not going on the posters. Yeah, right. Exactly. Was just basically that it has no idea what it's trying to be. It's trying to be horror, romantic comedy, um, you know, four different things at once, and therefore it's none of them. Right. And I agree completely. Right, and it it doesn't even. It's not even that these different things are overlapping in a kind of creative blend of movies. It's like six different movies spliced together. It's like vignettes with this narrative through line. Yeah. Where it's it starts off as this family melodrama, and then it's a rom-com, then family melodrama, then Lifetime movie. Yeah, Lifetime movie, good then one. Then horror movie, then exorcism movie. With a rom-com ending tacked onto the end. Like, yeah. it's so crazy how yeah. inconsistent. It, like, you never get a chance to get grounded in any of it. Like, because the characters' behaviors change along with whatever the movie is trying to do at the same time. Like, there's no there's no emotional connection to any of it. You're just trying to follow along this whole thing and never getting engaged with any of it. Yes, I agree completely. And part of my excuse for that, and I'm not trying to defend this movie in any real way, um, but part of my excuse for that is that it is a book adaptation, and I've not read the book. I don't even know how long it is, but I think that we can see that the screenplay definitely suffered here in adapting that work. The author of the book is not one of the screenwriters, and there are three separate screenwriters listed. So that seems problematic from the (laughs) get-go. I could see it maybe being adapted from, like, Chicken Soup for the Witch's Soul or something (laughs) like that, where it's just like, just take it all and try to mush it all together and see Mm -hmm. what happens. Like, uh, what what, what was that one? He's just not that into you, or right, yeah. what to expect when you're expecting. Like, take right. this, take this lifestyle book, and and try to make it work. Yeah, I will say though, I know nothing about the author, and it doesn't really seem like it matters because, though this movie was based on her book, she didn't write the screenplay. Like I said, um, I, being someone who knows quite a bit about witchcraft in general, I was really impressed by some of the little things that I noticed that were in tune, I guess, with what Sandra Bullock's character refers to as the craft. For instance, at the beginning, when her character is young, Sally, right? Yep. Yeah, when Sally's young, um, and she's doing that spell for a man that doesn't exist, that she's hoping will never exist, it's moonlight, and she's harvesting the herbs. So, though we don't see the moon, I don't think, it's probably a full moon, because it's really bright, um, and she's harvesting all her herbs. That's definitely when a witch would be harvesting her herbs for a, a spell. So there's kind of these little things along the way that made me think, okay, this isn't just what's hot right now. How are we going to throw some weird supernatural shit into a rom-com? Let's use witchcraft. 
it actually seems like they wanted to specifically draw on that kind of historical and, you know, mythological background in general, which I think is cool. Yeah, and that's something that I struggle with whenever I watch something <laughs> that I'm not familiar with the, the culture that it's trying to draw from, because I never know, like, for myself, who is somebody who's not in any way versed in witchcraft, I, I don't know when it's being offensive and when it's being respectful and actually right. actually drawing things in. Like, I assume that when the characters are behaving telekinetically, that that's kind of a eye roll moment. But then it seems very, very in touch with like earthy things. And it's 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 more about kind of a communication with nature and and that sort of thing. So I was inclined to think that it's above average respectful but but i don't know like that's that's why i was so interested in talking to you about this movie because you are yourself you know well versed in it and you identify as a witch like that's your i am a witch i don't just identify as one oh see see this is the thing where i'm like i'm tiptoeing around everything because i'm like i don't i don't want to say the wrong thing my twitter bio you don't have to tiptoe about it fair enough but i don't like i right i don't I don't know how to talk about this yeah, and yeah. I don't know when it's like, no, that's cool. I don't know what's offensive, which is why I'm so curious to hear kind of yeah. your spin on, or your, your thoughts on, on kind of what this movie gets right in that respect. Can I, I'll, I'll quote something from the director if okay. I can. So the director Griffin Dunn says he was enchanted by the script. This is the quote. It was literally like a cauldron. Every emotion, theme, and ingredient you could imagine was swirling around in it. I particularly like the women's use of magic. It comes right from the title. It's about a more practical, almost holistic approach that seems like a gift that virtually anyone could have. So I thought that was kind of a, a window into the madness that is all of these confluences of, of plot and underdeveloped or one-dimensional characters in a way that made me kind of respect what he was doing a little bit more because it seems like he really wanted to portray what he sees as a democratic view of witchcraft for women. And yeah, so that made me sympathize with his project a little right. bit more. And that's something that I liked about the the supernatural elements in the movie because at the at the end when Sally calls upon the the phone when tree. She uses the phone tree, yeah. When she she uses <laughs> the the democratic power that she has received dishonestly to call <laughs> upon all the women of the community to help banish the spirit from her sister. This is going to sound like nonsense to anybody who hasn't <laughs> seen the movie. But it sounds really intriguing, actually. It almost makes you want to watch the movie. Okay, but and please do not take this as a recommendation. Right, yeah, <laughs> For me, that could this be the is, problem. Yeah. So towards the end, when she calls upon those people and she starts being really honest and open with what she is and her power, but then she also asks everybody to share it and to you know she calls upon all these women to okay bring your brooms and let's let's do something about this there's a little uh, uh diane uh, the one one of the ants, jet, yeah yeah, yeah jet. jet so when jet at the end ridiculous name when jet at the end says there's a little bit of witch in all of us and it really it's it encourages people to kind of find the the magic within themselves and to celebrate what it is to be feminine and what it is to have community and sorority with other women was pretty amazing and, mm -hmm. and actually powerful and seemed so much less gimmicky than so much of the rest of the movie. Definitely. I thought... So I'm, I'm not one that's f a fan of chick flicks in general. I'm not, in general, ever kind of uplifted by 
women power, like sisterhood of the divine secrets of the Yaya yeah, sisterhood. That's it. Yeah, that's what Love I was that movie. <laughs> I actually haven't seen it, but that speaks to how I'm not at all interested in seeing things like that. But I was very touched by the community of women in this movie going from the catty kind of backbiting townsfolk hating them hating the owens women um to becoming you know not only appreciative of them and also tolerant but engaging in their practices with them and i mean i'm sure we'll get to this because we haven't really talked about the plot at all the only thing that kind of undermines that for me is that the switch between when the townsfolk folk think that they are the literal devil to when they call get called on this phone tree to come and help out with a literal you know uh exorcism as you said there's there's nothing there like she she calls them on the phone and is like oh it's instantaneous yeah yeah <laughs> you never you, there's no convincing there's i mean these women would have hung up on her and called the police probably right like right. it's that that was really unfortunate the end is completely rushed the last act of the movie doesn't make any sense because of how rushed it is it's really right. unfortunate but i was still uplifted by how clearly this movie is really trying to show quote-unquote, which was a really big thing in the 90s as well, this girl power. And this was one of the first times, um, maybe because of it's grounded in witchcraft, but this was one of the first times that I didn't roll my eyes at it. I was actually kind of touched. Because it wasn't just rah-rah girl power. It, was, it wasn't it was just standing up on a stage and yelling it. It was, let's do something together. There's there's action to it. Yeah. And it's it's really calling upon all of them to work together. And it also stems from, you're right, that you know there's this this all of a sudden switch where centuries of hatred towards yeah. these women gets turned on its head because Sally is all of a sudden honest with herself about who she is and it's kind of silly because the like their her aunts uh Jet and Francis Francis um Stalker Channing she's fantastic she is amazing in this movie <laughs> so they've never been dishonest about what they do no. like anybody who comes to their door they'll be like yeah just pay us money and we'll do spells for you and everybody believes in what they're doing yeah but it takes Sandra Bullock yeah for some reason being a witch and being open about it yeah and being flippant about it even the very first one Maria she wasn't dishonest about being a witch she you know jumped off the platform yeah escaped through witchcraft and they banished her instead which by the way never would have happened <laughs> in, in massachusetts um in the 1600s not at all they would have killed her harder <laughs> <laughs> although it does seem like they were uh she was pretty aggressive with why they shouldn't like her because she was very proud about the fact that she was like banging all of their husbands right, and, yeah. and being very promiscuous in there in there what you would assume was very puritanical relationships right. where that would have been highly socially frowned upon but yeah it's it makes no damn sense it makes no damn sense yeah, at all it's unfortunate i also so we're, we're skipping right to the end oh that's fine but i think it'll hopefully you know we'll we'll draw back on the rest of it i also did not at all understand when jillian was dying and sally went to you know sally stopped what they were doing in the circle because she was worried that she was dying and sally lied down next to her and was like you can't die on me and everything i didn't understand what was going on there oh okay so please explain so for a bit of context um a little bit of plot here <laughs> to help people along good. sally and jillian so sandra bullock and uh, nicole kidman are sisters who belong to a family and a, a series of generations of witches Sally has gone off to pursue the domestic. She's gotten married, had kids. Jillian's kind of gone off and been a wild party girl where she ends up falling in love with this 
I'm not even going to say love, where she ends up getting involved with this super bad boy with this whole idea of a passion that burns so bright it can't last forever, and he turns out to be a really crappy guy. So Sally comes to rescue Jillian. During an altercation, he ends up dying, and they accidentally bring him back from the dead, but sort of do a half-assed job of it, and he's a spirit who has now... What were they thinking was going to happen when they brought him back from the dead? What was the best case scenario? (laughs) He comes back as himself perfectly, and he's still a horrible abusive awful person yes then what and now he's around your children anyway sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) Uh, um so his spirit the spirit of this abusive ex-lover has apparently they they thought it had disappeared but it's actually gone into jillian's body so what you were asking about is why she's all of a sudden dying Mm -hmm. and i think that it's that there's this this power struggle going on where all the spirit of what's his name jimmy yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Angel really, Love, Angel Love. <laughs> right. Super Bulgarian right. Jimmy. The reason that I think that Sally believes that Jillian is dying is because Jimmy is trying to, again, like put a hold on Jillian and like claim her. Right, and, so like claim her spirit, like take her to the, the underworld or, right. or the so spirit where, where world, I guess. That he's doomed for, right. he's at least going to, like, and that's that's kind of his, his thing, right? Even if I'm going to have a terrible life, I need somebody here with me. Because he's ultimately like a sad, lonely individual mm-hmm. who lashes out with violence. And that's what he's continuing to do after death. He's trying to drag her in. And Sally can really feel that in Jillian because they're so connected. We've seen the, like, psychic connection that they have yep. between them. So all it is 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 Jimmy's trying to, like, claim Jillian's soul, and Jillian feels like two things. One, that she can have all this fighting and all this chaos stop if she just goes with him. And two, that, like, at least he wants me and he only wants me. Right. So she's feeling the draw of that kind of abusive, passionate relationship Again, where, okay, even if it's not perfect, this is the one time that I'm special and I'm the I'm the amazing one compared to Sally, the super witch sister. Yeah. And it's really them. Who's always been the more talented one and right. yeah, had her life together. Okay, so is that, because I'm not good with horror films in general, is it just a given that we know that when a spirit is uh, possessing someone else, what they're trying to do is steal their spirit as well? Because what my problem with this is that I just assume that, you know, he was trying to... to keep control of Jillian's body so that he could still be alive. No, the only reason that I think that is because she says it. Because Jillian says it when she's kind of writhing around like, right. oh, he's trying he to take me, to he's take trying me. to take me. But, it's but, not necessarily the trope of a haunting. That right. like, Quite often it's about kind of maintaining that, that connection. Sa- Sally stops it before that happens. To me, it looked like everything was working and the ants are still doing it. And I would see, you know, I would, I would give the ants the benefit of the doubt for everything. I think that why Sally stops is because Jillian is feeling pain at okay. that point. And, and it's because the of their connection, connection like, it's, it's, it's this this horrible experience that Jillian is suddenly having where she's probably feeling Jimmy dying, but because Jimmy's inside of Jillian, she just can't, she can't bear to feel this pain on behalf of her sister. Okay. And you know, even, even if it is the right kind of pain, it's eventually leading towards the spirit leaving her body. It's, it's causing her a lot of pain right now. And that's unbearable for Sally. Okay. So for those listening, You've just heard Dylan have to describe the climax to me so that I can understand what's going on. Right. And this is his interpretation. This isn't 
me, you know, that I left the room for a while or something. <laughs> this is Dylan still not even being sure. I'm sh- I, I think he is correct based on uh, everything that I know about it. Um, but yeah, so that could, should give you a little bit of indication about how muddled this becomes. Yeah, I should not have to be working this hard no. to, to understand it or to appreciate what happens. It's kind of like it just it, it knows that it needs to hit the right beats that like they need to have the big the big flash of light and everything is feeling good and everybody's happy and laughing afterwards it just it seems like it it the movie itself is not sure how to get there so it's just kind of winging it yeah and like this sounds right for this situation so yep. let's go with it so let's go back to kind of closer to the beginning where Sally who has decided that she doesn't want to live as a witch meets this man that she falls in love with, you know, seconds after saying that she never wants to be in love with anybody. But it's revealed that the whole reason for that is because the ants have cast a spell. Right, so you're she, talking about her first husband. Yeah, her first okay. ha- husband. So, um, I mean, she can't control that. The ants have cast the spell. Okay, I cannot stress enough the ridiculousness of this scene. Because you don't know at first that the ants have cast this no, spell. No, you don't. That's exactly all what you, I was All you see say. is Sandra Bullock briefly lock eyes with this guy pushing a fruit cart. <laughs> And, and and Sally walks away, but then Jet locks eyes with the guy with the fruit cart for about eight times longer. So much longer. Than Sandra Bullock ever has. And the guy behind the fruit cart just kind of goes, yeah, I was checking out your niece and just kind of gives this knowing nod. And then when they all get home, all of a sudden Sandra Bullock's just like hit with this flash of inspiration the song the song this kiss by faith hill which was recorded for this movie no by the, it was oh my god yes dreadful and it won like some <laughs> award of like best original <laughs> single i can't handle this <laughs> i will never be able to hear that song and not think about this yeah so all you you see them just like run towards each other and kiss and it's played like this wonderful joining of spirits by these people who have never spoken to each other and never done anything more than cast a glance at each other. And the worst part is later on, when they're having the midnight margaritas, and the ants admit that it was them who, you know, tried to do, tried to get them together, did the spell to get them together. One of them says that the spell was only supposed to be to open Sally's legs. That's right. the, the line that they use. They didn't want them to fall in love. They just wanted Sally to get some. Which is, yeah, they just wanted her to loosen up. They right. were like, "Listen, like you're you're doing the 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 pre makeover Miss Congeniality where you got your <laughs> your big glasses on. You need to she you need so to loosen cute, up." Though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I have the biggest crush on Sandra Bullock. <laughs> it was my it, head is just living in my hands talking about this movie. Yeah, but yeah. and then and then that's another problem is it goes from okay, fine, you know they're obviously attracted to each other. We later find out that that's because of a love potion to get Sally to look at him. They fall in love and get married immediately, and the movie doesn't show any of that. No, it's a year later. Right, but I mean, you, yeah, in, the, but... in as far as the movie is concerned, right. basically the next scene, they're together. Yes. You know, it's for real now. Yes. And we know what's going to happen to this guy. Right. And I just find that to be so anticlimactic and not does not serve any real character development except to plunge Sally further into this depression. But I, I, yeah, I think at that point, though, we're just still setting up the story because the story isn't about her falling in love in the first place. The story is about her starting from a place of sadness and loneliness. And so it just it takes a really long time to get there. 
But why why did we even need that first guy though then? She was already like I'm not I'm never going to fall in love. I don't want to. I'm never going to leave my aunt's house, etc. They could have just started the film that way, right? Um one so you can have the two cute kids. That's true. You do need yeah, the children. Yeah, you need the two cute kids. You also need and this is a recurring thing in the movie that I don't this is one of the ones that I was struggling with where I don't know if it's respectful or if it's kind of pointing out how dangerous this thing is. Uh, showing how powerful magic can be and the unexpected consequences of meddling with people's lives. Because really, like, this this deep depression that Sally has plunged into is because of her aunts. That's 100% respectful of, of witchcraft because, in general, love potions, when white magic is concerned, these are the two separate things in witchcraft in general, specifically in Wicca, but in all pagan lore and all pagan religion um there's two types of magic there's white magic and black magic and depending on what type of pagan you are and what type of witch you are you might feel differently about whether or not you should practice black magic or white magic for all intents and purposes casting a love spell on someone who is completely unaware of what's happening is what's considered black magic because it is totally not cool to ever cast any sort of spell that will change the behavior of someone else without their consent. Right. So as a result, so an example is that you, if you wanted to have a love spell, if you wanted to attract someone, you could cast a spell on yourself to make you more attractive to a certain type of person. Okay? That would be like the white magic way to do it. To trick someone else into loving you is not cool. So I would say that since this movie shows that that's not cool i would say that it is totally respectful in that way yeah i don't know if the movie really makes it overt enough that it's not cool what what i had trouble with is that there is all of this constant really aggressive meddling with kind of the natural order of things yeah which is a trope in kind of which media in general right like in bewitched the the mother-in-law is always meddling that's just the the meddling mother-in-law is also a witch type of thing. But very few people are ever held accountable for it. Like, the ants are never... They're never held to task for for no. doing this really super, extremely invasive kind of meddling, where they're supposed to be the experts, and their little potion backfires and They don't even the- remind her that, you know, maybe don't fall in love with this guy because he's going to die, right? Like, right. it's never even repeated. You, you know it's going to happen. You're watching it happen. Right. And then she's surprised when it happens. But it, it, the other one that bothered me as well was, was when they're setting up the phone tree. Sally has clearly just wanted for so long to be part of this community and to be held in, in high regard in this community by being the person who's the most responsible for it. Like, this is the pinnacle of her achievement in this community. It's being at the top of the, quote, phone tree where you're the first person to get the call if something goes down, like a school closure or something like that. And nobody wants her to have that position. And it's a silly position. But still, when Jillian shows up at the PTA meeting or whatever, and she inject Sally's name at the top and shifts things around and like just the the sight of them sitting in the back of the room kind of snickering about getting away with changing things and using this skill that they have to their advantage and laughing about how nobody else can do it it seemed really like at the very least rude right but, but it's also well, I mean Jillian's not a good person <laughs> right like Jillian makes a lot of mistakes in her life <laughs> 
And I, I do think that, you know, we are supposed to think you really shouldn't have done that. That wasn't, you know, how the best way to use your magic. There are very few instances of magic being used responsibly. Right. In this movie. Like, probably the most responsible use of it that we see is Sally, because she's making, like, ointments and things like that, where it's like, here are some things that can help you get better, and just using it as small tools to help herself around the house, like, Mm -hmm. very, I don't know, kind of like Molly Weasley-ish. This very kind of, like, domestic, nurturing, sort of like, I'm taking care of my community. that That's the most positive example that we see, but every time there's meddling, something goes wrong, but nobody's ever held accountable for it, Mm -hmm. because I think that the way... That well, I guess when anybody is held accountable for it, we see it at the very beginning with right. whatever her name is being Maria. Maria getting hanged. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed irresponsible, but I also don't want to be like, okay, well, if we're accepting that magic is real, is it really my place to kind of put shackles on these people? Like, it's almost the the X Men sort of conundrum where it's, do you make these people register and kind of force them to disclose right. what they have that's different about them, yeah. or do you try to like make them not be themselves? Yeah. So it's, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to remember in the context of witchcraft as a religious, you know, practice that people in our real world ascribe to, and also in this movie and how it's portrayed that people who have you know, people who are in touch with the craft, as they call it, are still people that are either, you know, right or wrong or make good decisions or bad decisions, right? But they can just do it with a different skill set than other people can. Um, But actually, the other bit of magic that I think is uh, responsible and good um, is when Sally takes the... uh, What's his name? Hallett? Yes. when, When Sally takes Hallett's... Badge. badge. Yeah. <laughs> I was making the motion of taking out your badge. Um, when Sally takes Hallett's badge and she's rubbing it and talking about how this is just a symbol. It can't stop bad guys in, dead in it's dead in their tracks. But then later when he shows it to Jimmy's demon, that's exactly what it does. So she's imbued this badge with um, magic for him. And turned it into a weapon, and he didn't even realize. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought that it was just the the kind of like sheer power of his will to be kind of a, a knight for her was what what no. gave it its power. No, I'm certain that because uh, I, I noticed how much she was rubbing it, and I'm certain that that was her magic being imbued into the into the star, which is also very. It's a it was a five point star. That's a, a symbol of witchcraft in general. Right. I like that a lot better than it just all of a sudden his his talisman or whatever just yeah. has more power than it ever has in the past. And it was so subtle in a stupid way because I'm sure a lot of people missed it and just wrote it off as being like, oh, what a great deus ex machina that suddenly he can fight demons. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like a bullet being stopped by your police badge. Like right. it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. It also it's... gives Sally's character a lot more strength and a lot more, you know, agency and she has a lot more control over what's going on yeah, in general. Yeah, that, that scene, despite not even noticing that part, that scene was kind of my favorite scene where she seems to be coming into her own and she's both awkwardly admitting to murder while seducing him <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> that whole part was... So, can we talk about Sandra Bullock in general in this movie? As I said, I love her and I've never seen her in anything that hasn't been a comedy. I think she's a comedic genius, and I'm obviously not the only one in the world who thinks that. What was sad about this movie is how there were a couple glimmers of this amazing comedy that she's capable of. But clearly, that's not what the character was supposed to be. You know, the character wasn't the 
wild and funny one. The character was the straight man, right? But, you know, there's a couple scenes like when they're mouthing to each other, when Jillian mouths, you know, what is your problem? And she mouths back, I don't know. <laughs> and the, her facial expression is fantastic. And there's a couple other, you know, very Sandra Bullocky, almost slapstick and how enthusiastic and how how well she you know has that physical comedy aspect to her and then on the other side in in that scene where it's it's funny but she's also somehow being seductive like it took me a while to actually realize that she's flirting with this guy like for a long time i thought she was being really defensive and trying to get him to leave but then she keeps kind of you know, inviting him back and inviting him into the house. And, you know, now they're drinking coffee together or whatever. And I'm just like, why is this guy still here? Like you were, you have, you were harboring, you know, a dead body on your, on your plantation grounds or whatever. You should be getting him out ASAP. Oh, you're hitting on him. (laughs) Like I did not see that whatsoever when I was watching it at the time. And then suddenly they're flirting and then suddenly they're kissing that whole romantic thread did not sail for me right and that's where again you kind of it gets spelled out to you later a little bit later that like this is that seemingly impossible guy that she's right. been dreaming Who of forever does not have one green eye and one blue eye he clearly has two blue eyes yes but why can't they these... just get him a contact lens like this is 1998 yeah, he's, <laughs> he's got these piercing blue eyes through the entire movie until she gets up close when all of a sudden she can see this distinctly different tone to his eye for one shot, and then he's back to piercing blue. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that that wasn't cute. Like, I thought that that was all really fairy tale cute. And that's right. part of the reason why I don't hate this movie, is that I really had to keep reminding myself, this is a fairy tale. This is a fairy tale that is taking all of the kind of 19th century women's literature ideas and kind of trying to bring them into 1990s Um and all of that was kind of cute. I liked that. And I really liked when he said, I wish for you too. And she starts crying. I, that, that actually choked me up. Uh. <laughs> that was the first time that I actually cared about these two as a couple. I also thought in general that was really um, disrespectful to her entire like first relationship that she had. We just stopped talking about him entirely. And they were married and very in love for a number of years and had children. But by the end of the movie, none of that matters. She's found the actual man she's supposed to be with. The thing that really, really bothered me with their relationship, really bothered me, is they made a really compelling argument for why they shouldn't be together <laughs> and why they would never be able to move past that. When Sally is saying, you'll always wonder if you're only here because of the spell that I put on you. It's always going to be this lingering problem. Like, would we ever actually be into each other if it wasn't for this spell that I cast? And then they go apart and they just decide, well, well, we'll see where it lands. And it's it's also edited terribly, where all of a sudden, it seems like she's going to go pursue him to be like, I made a mistake. I'm going to Arizona. They've spent all this time talking about how he's in Arizona. Yeah. And then he just like shows up on the porch one day. They kiss. Credits roll. Yeah. This doesn't deal with the problems. And he says that a curse only has power if you believe in it. And I don't believe in curses. But we've seen that that's clearly not true. Whether or not you believe in these things doesn't change the fact that this magic is real. These curses are real. The romantic lead in this movie is going to die. And there's no workaround for that. Like, they haven't done anything to suggest that the curse is broken, except for him kind of smarmily saying that he doesn't believe in curses. It's this false relationship created more than likely by magic, which we've seen to be dangerous and reckless. 
and will result in the death of the guy involved. Yep. How is that good? <clears throat> it's not. And it's also it also kind of brings us back to what is the actual point to this movie? Is it that we wanted Sally to end up happily ever after or that she was supposed to become really comfortable with being a witch and become herself? Or is it that, you know, Jillian needs to straighten up and fly right? Or what is it? And by the end of the movie, the answer to all of those is yes. (laughs) All of that. Yes. But I wouldn't say that it gets resolved in the way that anybody would find satisfying. It all just kind of gets tied up. And I think a perfect example for that is when the women in the circle, when they're exercising Jillian, grab their hands. And then we see hands grabbing through history back to Maria. So all of the Owens women grabbing hands all through history. And the only reason you know it's through history is because their clothes change, but you only see them from basically the arm down. Yeah, the the power of these generations flowing between them, and because they're sisters, they have so much history and power. Then Yeah, and that's the only thing that broke the curse, apparently. It's never explained why that would be the thing that uh, breaks the curse. It's never explained... If anybody knew that, and why didn't we do this generations beforehand? And all of this happens so quickly Wait, at the end. Is that end. what breaks the curse, or is that just what exercises? No, that's what breaks... It's both. It's it's what... Because, okay, I'm getting this from Wikipedia now. I had to look up the ending of this movie because I didn't understand what was happening. The thing that breaks the curse is when they all join hands, according to Wikipedia. Okay, so the actual curse on, on like On, on the, the Owens family women, yeah. Is broken. Is broken. Because... So he will not die. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and they do the ants do say something like that near the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that or or maybe it's a voiceover at the end. Something I don't know. But he no. That so the the movie is a little happier at the end than you might have thought it was. Okay. He's not doomed to die. The curse is broken. And but the fact that I didn't realize that, and the fact that you didn't realize that, is very telling of the last act of this movie in general. So much is going on that is not explained, and it wouldn't be something that you would know. Just from knowing, you know, anything about witches or whatever, or Massachusetts or, I don't know, architecture from that era. Like, I'm throwing out whatever you could possibly get from that last act. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole unexplained mythology that it kind of... It's like there's an instruction manual that they forgot to include with the DVD for this. Yeah. It was like, no, 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 here, here. Like, this is... There's a spell book missing. There's something really crucial missing that the people who are the people who are making this movie were in on that that we're just not privy to yeah and so i mean there's other movies that i can think of that are adaptations from books that the book really helps elucidate a lot of the problems that you might find in the movie in the wikipedia article it lists the differences between movie and book and some of them are ones that make the book or make the movie more complicated i think some are ones that cannot be explained in having the book be the reason for why it's weird. So I really have no idea what was happening with these screenwriters. This definitely needed a couple more passes. The The last act is very sad. But let's talk about a little earlier in the film, which is a huge difference between the book and the movie, according to Wikipedia, is what happens when Jillian calls Sally saying she needs help. And she can tell that, Sally can tell that the phone is ringing with Jillian needing help. And she takes a plane to Arizona, right? And then drives back (laughs) to Massachusetts in that car in the span of, you know, a short enough time so that the corpse in the backseat has not gotten rigor mortis. (laughs) So that's problematic in general. 
I mean, there's some suspension of disbelief, evidently, in a movie about witches, but those were some plot holes that I was, you know, struggling to to really wrap my mind around. There's one of those where it's just kind of like, wait, what? And in my mind, I've just kind of said, because magic. And that's just kind of let me off the hook of trying to take this thing seriously at all. For me, it was when they were burying Jimmy. Right. And they dug this massive hole. And then when they're walking away, there's no sign that there's ever been a hole dug. Right. There's this just like pristine grass. Yeah. Still laying over top. And I think... And like the... That the ants never notice no, that yeah. there's there's something afoot. Like these are very intuitive women <laughs> who spend a lot of time tending to the plants on their property, and they don't notice this yeah. signs of a, a six foot hole in their front lawn. Yeah, and it's it's completely reasonable that this could have all been explained away by magic. But but why not just have that? Like why not just have you know Sandra Bullock's character throw some magic salt over top of the thing, and then it gets cleaned up? You know what I mean? Like yeah. was the budget so small that we couldn't have just had a scene where we see that it's clearly been just dug up and now it's not right it's not small it was a 75 million dollar budget right exactly that's what i mean is <laughs> like there, there, you did not need to cut all these corners and there wasn't enough kind of overt magic in the movie to really let us always remember that magic could be used at any given mo- moment, right? right? For instance, I think there is something where Jillian's character starts singing or something and the car goes faster. But it's not as if it's kind of like, like, all I needed was a line that was like, we need to get back to Massachusetts as soon as we can. Let's go faster, right? Like, that's all I needed. I just needed them to acknowledge that this is friggin' far away. There's no way we're going to get there in time unless we use our powers, right? Mm-hmm. And not to mention that Sally, over and over again, disavows her ma- magic and doesn't want to use it. So the implication would be that she's probably not, right? Yeah, so except ha- she uses it all the time. <laughs> to share she, coffee. <laughs> yeah, she, she spends all of this time rejecting her history, meanwhile using it the entire time. Like, there's never a moment where she's struggling with the decision to use it. Her first answer to every problem she encounters is, well, let's do magic. Let's... <laughs> Let's fix this with magic. Yeah. But that that is her first reaction. So you never get that moment where, you know, that moment at the end where she says, guess what, guys? I'm a witch. Like, that has almost no power <laughs> because we've seen her using magic more than we've seen her rejecting the fact that she has magic within And everyone in the town already thinks you are a witch. <laughs> so it really isn't... You know, when that when that one woman who's kind of her assistant or whatever. The one with the most ridiculous hair of any person who has ever lived. Yes, yeah, that woman. When she's like, Sally's come out. <laughs> they call it a coming out, which is actually a thing in, in witchcraft in general. They call it coming out of the broom closet. I do not agree with this whatsoever. I think it's an incredibly inf- offensive term and stupid. But anyway, um, yeah, like the, the townsfolk all already know this. There's literally no reason to hide this. You live with two women who are who advertise themselves as witches. Right. <laughs> so I think I think that the coming out of the closet analogy is kind of apt because there, there are sometimes those things where just like everybody knows and they're just kind of waiting for you to be okay with it right. and, for you, and for you to come out and... Yeah. It, yeah. Because everybody's happy to share it with her when it finally happens. I just think it's a heck of a lot easier to tell people that you're a witch than it is to tell someone that you're gay. You know, like it's, I don't like that comparison right. I, I'm not, so I'm much. I'm not suggesting that it's a, it's an equal experience yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but it's. But anyway, so going back to that part where Sally has to go out and help Jillian, one of the things that Wikipedia says is a difference between the book and the movie is that when Jillian is talking to Sally about 
the relationship she has with Jimmy. And she says things like, you know, sometimes we're up all night, like bats. Yeah, what was that? The the, the thing that I figured out, it, it must just be that bats are nocturnal, so they're up all night, right? It has absolutely nothing to do with how bats have sex or anything like that. But that's, that's what it seemed like. I was like, am, I, am I missing out on like some kind of crazy... Bat sex? That's, is what, this... <laughs> that's exactly what I thought. But then I was like, no, like it's scrambling just... scrambling through Urban Dictionary? Yeah. Kama Sutra? What's no, going on? I agree 100%. But no, it must just be because they're nocturnal. And then she reveals that she's been giving him Belladonna in order to get him to um, to calm down and to go to sleep. Because other than that, he's always at her. Okay? Right. So that's that's as far as we know. In the, in the book, um, she, he is beating her this whole time. He get, she gives him the belladonna in order to get him to stop, uh, to, to go to sleep so that she gets a reprieve from the beatings, okay? Oh, okay. Now, I did not see the incredible, in my opinion, incredibly graphic uh, domestic abuse scene coming at all. Like, this came out of left field for me, um, and I would caution anybody watching this movie to go in knowing that there is some pretty... Uh, horrible domestic abuse that goes on and allusions to more and worse stuff. But did you, from, you know, hearing about how she is drugging him to to get him to go to sleep, did you did you get a sense that this was an abusive relationship? Or... I, I only got the sense that it was heading in that direction because that seemed yeah. like the kind of choice that she would get herself involved in. Like I said earlier, kind of like the... The, the passion that burns too brightly like she she was always seeking she like sally was also seeking an impossible man but jillian wanted somebody who would be perpetually exciting and perpetually uh, novel right and unfortunately that doesn't necessarily lead to a positive domestic relationship mm-hmm. um where you know if that's what you're looking for if you know if, you, if you're looking for an animal you're going to find an animal and i i wasn't surprised when it went in that direction at all it he kind of reads as uh, skis when she even gets up to go to the bathroom and he gets up he's like i was just i was i was just thinking about you i'm like why would you not be she's laying right next to you in bed like he he does come across really aggressive in the first place so it wasn't it wasn't shocking for me to to have that be how the relationship went right um the the part that was shocking was how I'm talking about the part in the car when he's heating up his ring in order to burn her face. Oh, okay. That's yeah. the part that like really fucked me up because I that it was horrible. It was horrible to watch and it doesn't even happen, but the idea that it would happen so casually like that just opened up a world of you know what's been going on between these two, what has actually been happening, and obviously she's already been hit at this point. Right. I, and, and I'm not saying that I didn't see that coming. Like, I didn't right, see domestic okay. abuse coming. But I did not see a movie like this with a description like that on Netflix come so close to having something that disgusting and revolting happen. Right. Even though you get the feeling of, like, domestic abuse coming, the it seems like he had to do something that was so... Because they just introduce the domestic abuse as, like, a one-time thing. Like, this seems like it's probably the first time that he's hit her it is and and she says that to the investigator later she says if a man hits me he only does it once right so so that's a big difference between the book and the movie right so then for him to all of, yeah it, that comes out of nowhere but it also just seems more like shortcut storytelling and because i've never you know been involved in that kind of relationship it didn't it, it seemed more like just a bad story yes. than 
anything offensive. Right. And and I, I obviously I'm not going to say that it wasn't shortcut storytelling or anything like that. But what was this movie rated when it came PG-13. out? PG-13. PG-13. And that's what surprised me. I went into this movie thinking this is going to be a fairy tale um, with some weird stuff and they're going to have problems with love. Okay, right. fine. I did not expect how graphic that became so quickly. You know, we see Sally after it's already happened. Sorry, we see Jillian after she's already been punched in the face. Yeah. This is not the, the type of movie where we see a woman get hit. Okay? Right. And I understood that. I accepted that. That was fine. The next part where he's doing something that is much in my opinion, much scarier than simply hitting someone. And mm-hmm. obviously that's already a terrible thing. That's the part that I did not expect in kind of a PG-13 rom-com Netflix movie. Yeah. What I'm saying that freaked me out about it is yeah. that I was so not expecting it yeah. in a movie that then became, it became very clear that it did not understand what it wanted to be, right? right? The horror aspect of it, I think that is very in line with horror in general, but I didn't sit down to watch a horror movie, right? Like, yeah. I did not expect it to be that type of level of abuse. Yeah, that's definitely when it hits its most, its most upsetting and its most dangerous and its most it's also I don't I really didn't like how they did it. I really didn't like how Sandra Bullock she's driving or Sally's driving and she's turning around being like, Hey, quit it like kind of lightly slapping this guy Cut and that's Yeah, and that stops it from happening. Are you kidding me? This guy is obviously, you know, horrible. Why didn't he just break her hand or something equally terrible and keep doing it? So that's kind of where I'm kind of like, why why include this? It you know, you didn't you didn't go full out with it. It doesn't actually make sense with any of the characters. It doesn't make sense with the scene. It's just incredibly it's also, off-putting. Yeah, it's also a, it's set up to kind of pay off later. Because you, yeah. you could potentially read that this is like, well, it's just an idea that popped into his head because he's drunk on he's drunk on whatever and he just read Yeah. He just read it in the book. So he's Yeah. You know, he's just freaking out and he's crazy and he's just so impetuous and that's what Jillian's into in the first place is is how he just kind of does whatever but then later when we're talking to Hallett and we find out that he's actually yeah he's actually like murdered someone before and branded them then we're just kind of like oh okay we feel better about the fact that he's dead and it's uh, it's it does go too far and it's 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 definitely mismanaged it's it's not handled respectfully it just sounds to me like what a 13 year old would write about being like what's the worst thing that i could possibly think a guy would do you know like and he needs to be a horrible man and stuff like that and it and it's kind of carried out that way and kind of you know let's be as horrible as possible in as short as time as possible and fuck it if you were you know chilling watching uh happy go lucky which movie with your cat in your lap <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah it was it, it was so out of left field for me and then to hear that so this is where i was going with that that's not at all what happens in the book that's completely made up for the movie yeah so dylan just made a, a really surprised face so do you see now why i'm kind of like this is fucked up and didn't need to be yeah. <laughs> uh in the book this is on the Wikipedia article with the differences. Sally shows up and he's already dead. Uh, Jillian's already killed him. It's there's never or no sorry he I think he dies by mistake. Oh yeah, so Jillian has been giving him belladonna for a long time and like I said he has been beating her this whole time. Right. But um, Jillian has been giving belladonna 
to him over a period of time. And as a result, which is a, a total Victorian novel thing, um, he dies of long-term belladonna poisoning. So she sh- Sally shows up and he's already dead. None of that weird altercation in the car... None of that, like Sally being the more responsible sister who's like, you have the worst taste in men type of thing. It's a lot more sympathetic to Jillian, mm-hmm. I think, because Jillian makes some stupid comments in that car, too. That's that's the, the abusive or sorry, abused uh, woman psychological profile is that people are always like, well, why do you go back to him? Right. But it, that has nothing to do with it. It's that's part of the abusive thing is that you can't help it. So I'm not going to falter for that. But I'm also definitely going to point out that the script was not sensitive to that. It was not trying to show that Jillian is under this horrible, uh, you know, abused woman's... Yeah, it seems like they tried to transfer the threat to to Sally as well, because Sally's supposed to be the heroine. So, like, when, like later when Jillian gets taken over, Jimmy has... Like we saw earlier, Jimmy's kind of started to transfer his his lust and his grossness to Sally as well, where he's like, I'm really into the idea of sisters right now. And like on top of the branding, you have this kind of threat of rape as well. And then that gets called back later where, you know, when he takes over Jillian's body, he like, does he lick her? Yeah, he does. Well, Nicole Kidman does as like Jillian as Jimmy does. Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. Right. So it, it goes to these dark places, but right after Faith Hill songs and, and I mean, this goes back to everything that we said at the you know from the beginning that it has no idea what it's trying to do. It tries to do everything that it does to the utmost, and so it just ends up sticking out in all sorts of different directions into this jagged mess of a movie that yeah. doesn't do much right. No, it's unfortunate because I think it could have been a lot better had it kind of stuck to one idea and yeah. one thread. Had it kind of stuck to. And I and obviously I don't know what the politics were behind this, you know, the casting and everything like that. But to me, it sounds like the book maybe focuses a lot more on Sally being the the heroine, and Jillian, you know, not being as big of a character. In that, you know, she's he's already dead when she gets there. There's not this whole big oh god, what are we going to do, um, and everything like that. And I don't know if it's because Nicole Kidman was a huge star then as well, right, and needed some more lines and everything. But yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that it all got muddled up like that. It's kind of interesting that you bring up the X-Men because if you take away the the curse of the marriage or whatever, then you know what what could the po- plot possibly be? And within 5 minutes of the movie starting where it's like you know the curse is that every man and Owen's woman never loves will die. I just thought that was hilarious because, okay, great. Well, don't love a man then. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, clearly, obviously, you can't choose. But are you telling me that in since 16, you know, 72 or whenever it was, there hasn't been a lesbian in this entire (laughs) family that has gotten away with, you know, breaking this curse because of that? Well, especially in a movie that's so strongly about sorority and love and (laughs) the love of women. Yeah. And it does seem kind of strange that... Yeah, there, there's no hint of the the crossing of that into romantic love. Not not between sisters, obviously, but yeah, which does get kind of weird a couple times, by the way. Yeah, when they're like giggling underneath Under the, the blankets. Blanket? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like I don't have a sister, so I'm not entirely sure what goes on. But 
I'm not entirely sure if that's also what goes on. <laughs> I, I think that like part of what we're supposed to get from this movie, one of the threads is the just how how important the the love of siblings is because everybody has like in the three generations, everybody's got a sister. You you see this recurring pattern where it's obviously so important that like the the one bond that's always going to stay together, like Jet, is always with Francis. Jet is always with Francis. You know the two girls are. Uh, Sally and Jillian are connected across states. You know, they can feel what each other is thinking. And then the two girls, uh, Sally's daughters, they're always side by side. So does that mean it's broken now that the curse is broken? Does that mean that the Owens women are not going to be these, you know, two sisters that always grow old together and have this fantastic relationship? It just It's more doing the Frozen thing where it's like, even if you don't have a man, if you have a sister, you always have somebody. Right, yeah. And it does a good, even though it gets a little weird sometimes, giggling under the blankets. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that, that is the most powerful love that Sally has. It's not for Hallett, and it's not for her first husband. It's for Jillian. Yeah. She can feel things with, with Jillian that she cannot feel with anybody else because of the just the nature of the connection that they have. Yeah. And I think that's that's respectful and kind of beautiful. I also really liked the the daughters. I liked Sally's daughters a lot. So one of them is Evan Rachel Wood. Apparently, I, I yeah. guess you were saying. Yeah, the older one. The yes. older ones, Evan Rachel Wood, yeah. I really liked the scene where um, they were in the pantry making a potion with their aunt, with Jillian. I thought that was really cute. I also thought that was really an adorable kind of witchcraft scene to have this pantry and to have them working together to, you know, bring this spell and how well they knew you know, their herbs and everything like that. I thought that was really fun. And it wasn't hitting you over the head with it, where sometimes, you know, it wasn't like Eye of Newt or anything like that. Like, it was a legitimate thing where they were making syrup that wasn't going to taste awful. It was going to taste nice so that they could get their spell work done. And I think that's fun. I think because that's very similar to what a lot of kitchen witches do. You know, people practicing witchcraft in the real world. That's what they would be doing. They would be imbuing whatever they're cooking in order to get them whatever they're hoping will happen um and then when they take it because they've decided that they like this new dad <laughs> and they throw it into the ocean i thought that was adorable as well you, you mentioned that they're not doing like the whole eye of newt thing i did like the the one scene where they're they seem to be playing at that where jet and francis are doing a very a very witchy spell and then it's the midnight margaritas it, yeah, it turns out that they're making midnight margaritas <laughs> yeah and that's I mentioned the the seduction scene as one of my favorite, as probably my favorite scene, but the Midnight Margaritas was pretty incredible as well. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's just like, I, of course you want to be part of that. Like, it looks like so much fun. Yep. And then yeah, even towards the end when it gets all awkward, when they're, when they get all drunkenly honest with each other and they're just cackling the most horrible things they can think of to shout at each other and exposing all the all the psychic wounds that they have from each other, but they're still laughing about it and kind of working through it yep. is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. That scene where they throw the, the syrup into the ocean and immediately after see that frog that burps up the, <laughs> that burps up the ring. <laughs> um, so that was my reaction. Dylan's laughing. And my reaction was, are you kidding me? This is so silly. And I don't know if that's the first time you see frogs in the movie, but it's not the last time you see frogs. Did you, did you notice the other time that you see frogs? Yeah, you see the frogs when uh, Jillian as Jimmy is being dragged in the chair across the room, and there's just piles of frogs. I don't know what a group of frogs is called, but whatever that is. Oh, that, there's got to be a good word frogs. for that. An army of frogs. That's amazing. Yeah, it's an army of frogs. 
And so my first reaction was like, this is silly. Why is this happening? And then when they move the chair and you see this trail of frogs, then it occurred to me that I should actually know why this is happening because I study this. <laughs> so frogs as a medieval symbol and as a symbol in general are really strongly tied to witchcraft, death and evil. And there's a medieval text whose name escapes me right now where um, Satan has a coat of arms. Satan's riding into battle and he has a coat of arms and the symbol on his coat of arms is toads, it's frogs. So toads have always been tied to evil in some way. And as a result, always tied to witchcraft because witchcraft and evil have always been kind of synonymous too. So I think that I don't know if this was on purpose based on these screenwriters because I've been really trying to give them as little credit as possible for this and I don't know if it's in the in the book itself but these toads I think are hearkening back to that idea of death because he's dead Jimmy's dead um evil and witchcraft in general so I thought that was pretty cool actually because other than that you're just thinking why are there toads this is very creepy and weird yeah the first toad is weird it, it really throws you off they're like what the like why what moron toad try to swallow this ring in the first place exactly this toad with a strong sense of narrative importance right he's timing impeccable timing <laughs> bang on <laughs> this cock blocking toad um yeah, but, he, but yeah he gets so mad so quickly eh <laughs> yeah of course he's mad because he's trying so hard to find out that she's innocent and then to have this <laughs> this proof vomited in front of him <laughs> yeah it's it's you know it's upsetting that this person that he's having these really strong feelings about it ah been trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, not unlike us with the screenwriters of this movie. Yeah. But then when the rest of the frogs show up, yeah, it's it's just kind of, it's good that it's an appropriate image. But I mean, if it was any other creature, then it would have been like, oh, this is creepy shit's going down yeah. because creatures are showing up. Yeah. So um, in medieval uh, texts specifically, frogs and snakes are the same. So the snakes, we understand, are usually harbingers of evil in texts in books and in movies whatever so if those had been a bunch of snakes when they moved the chair no problem but they were toads and that stuck out to me and then i realized oh yeah no it is it's, it's the same thing <laughs> we've, we've talked a bit about kind of what it's like to be these witches the what immediately kind of put me against them from the very beginning and this is for <laughs> me as a parent but, <laughs> but, was it the brownies for breakfast yeah so these <laughs> These kids. So I get that they're supposed to be like separate from the rest of the world and everything, but when Jillian and Sally's mom dies, or when their dad dies, and then the mom dies of a broken heart, right? Which I mean, does has that happened to every Owens woman whose husband has died? No, I think this one's pretty anomalous for some reason. That sucks. Yeah, because there have. I mean, there must have been a lot of them for there to be these generations. Yeah, but yeah, when they go to live with these women. They're told, and fine, like, this is, you're talking to grieving children, so you're going to say whatever makes them happy. But, like, don't worry. Uh, nobody brushes their teeth. You're eating chocolate for breakfast. And, like, don't do your homework. And it's like, okay, fine, that's cute. But then we find out later that that is actually the lifestyle that they <laughs> encourage. And that was just like, it's, give them a chance, right? Like, you can have this alternative <laughs> lifestyle, but, like, you can at least try to equip these girls with the skills to survive as adults in the world. Is that another point, part where it's implied that magic has been, you know, saving them in that regard, where they don't have to brush their teeth because they just magic away any 
I don't. Yeah, but you don't get that. Exactly. Like it's, it's just kind of like the, it's showing that the rules don't apply, but it's also like if you're no. eating chocolate for breakfast, you're probably not going to have Nicole Kidman's body, <laughs> and you're probably not going to have Sandra Bullock's teeth, and like just everything seems to go perfectly for them because it's under the guise of magic. But it you never see that magic. You see. Yep. You see it so infrequently that yeah. it's just kind of like being weird is what's protecting us from consequences. Yeah. And there aren't any consequences for most of the movie. And why not just make the magic a bigger part of the movie? Why not just be a little more obvious about how we are using magic constantly in order to live the lifestyle that we are living, right? Why, yeah. why, why not just do that? The and, movie is called Practical Magic. Right. <laughs> like, use the magic practically. <laughs> yeah. That's all we're looking for. Okay, can we also talk about how the ants just disappear for, like, the third act of the movie. Right, because they say these <laughs> girls need to figure out this problem on their own. Yeah, they're like, okay, you guys fucked something up royal. We're going to Vegas. <laughs> like, what happens to them? They just leave, and they just expect everything to be okay, and they come back, and they're like, oh, I guess, what is the line that she says? It's something like, I guess we arrived a little too late to miss, you know, our most necessary time or something like that. Like, it's something where she, they were hoping to have... They were hoping to be like Deus Ex Wicca, and but then they ended up showing up a bit too late, and everything had gotten really, really bad by yeah. the time they showed back but up. But they're not even that surprised or anything. They're just like, okay, get the brooms, <laughs> call the coven. Yeah, here's the phone tree. <laughs> yeah, they have so they either have a ton of faith in their nieces, their nieces. Yeah, it's their nieces. Yeah, yeah. they either have a ton of faith in their nieces. Or they literally don't care. <laughs> and I don't understand what it could be. I think it's just tough love. Yeah. But, like, maybe not appreciating how serious the situation yeah, is. extremely tough love. Um, just saying, like, oh, well, you've screwed something up, so we're going to protect the girls. But they know it's serious because they're protecting the little girls. They yeah. know that something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Oh, also, can we talk about when, <laughs> when Sally comes home and hears the girls screaming because they've just seen Jillian writhing on the bed, completely possessed by a demon. They run down the stairs screaming and crying. Sally spends like two seconds being like, okay, go, go downstairs, go downstairs. And goes up and deals with all that. Comes back down. We don't see these kids. The, these kids need some care. <laughs> immediately. Yeah, we never, yeah, for, for, <laughs> like, so someone needs to sit with them and talk about what they just saw. Yeah, maybe this is why this you is don't end up trauma. on the phone tree because you clearly don't give a shit about your kids. <laughs> exactly. These kids have been traumatized and we don't even see what right, happens and that's, afterwards. That's Sally's reaction every time there's a crisis is ants. Watch the kids. I need to go deal with this. Like, yeah. she's never talking to them about their grief. Like, the kids... The ants aren't even there, then. Yeah. The, ki <laughs> the, the kids are providing comfort to Sally. And there's these, these precocious little grown-up children who are trying to find their way through, getting absolutely no guidance from their mother. Apparently, is that is that a witch thing? That you just have to be... <laughs> No. Like a straight up B to your progeny? <laughs> no, it's, it's like, quite the opposite. Find, find your own way. <laughs> no, the like the in Wicca, especially the mother figure is a very, very important thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's, you're supposed to love every other woman on the planet unless she came out of your vagina, <laughs> in which case that bitch is on her own. Yeah. Like at this point, Sally Sally dying the way her mother died might have been better off. The children might have been better off as a result for that. <laughs> because That's then, dark. well, but uh, then at least they would have had two parents who actually, you know, were around probably. Yeah. 
as it is, as it stands, Sally is just kind of... This omnipresent but absentee mother. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, but she also insists on structure. She's like, okay, we're going to go live with these ants. We're going to tell you all this awesome stuff, but you're not allowed to participate in any of it. Yeah. But I'm also not going to be around to show you how to brush your teeth and eat proper breakfast. Yeah, and then when the ants, when she's like, okay, you have to the, you have to take care of the kids. Don't, you know, bring them to that, to the full moon ritual. Don't let them dance naked. And the ants are like, well, we have to bring them because, you know, we have to go. And she's like, We're Fine. on the committee. Yeah, yeah we're on the committee which I love. That was a fantastic line. Um, and it's very true as well. There are covens that, you know, you will be on the committee of the coven and you need to, you know, bring the snacks to the full moon ritual. That's how it is. But then when they come back and the kids are really excited because they did dance naked in the moonlight, Sally's like, oh, you know, oh, kids, kids will be kids. And the ants but didn't, the feeling didn't that she, my... she probably did it too. Like her and Jillian probably got brought to these. Were, like Sally's not just pulling that out of her ass. Oh, like no, no, that's no. a very specific thing that she's saying. And... Like she's right, just, but she, then but then the ants totally disregard what she said, and then she's kind of like, "Yeah, you know that'll happen." Like there's no structure whatsoever for these children, even yeah. when she lays down the law about things. Because it's not, it it's not about it's not about the kids. It's no. about her resisting the lifestyle. Yeah, at every turn, just trying to right. she's trying to just take the wind out of everybody else's magical sails. It has nothing to do with the development of her children or right. anything other than just her her own resistance. Right. So if the ants had respected what Sally wanted for the kids we never would come to the real conclusion that the ants were right all along because witchcraft was right all along for sally right right yeah <laughs> can we also talk about the dressing up as witches at the end <laughs> and jumping off the roof right because I, that's what they the townsfolk say they do at halloween right? right so this movie starts with a pretty um i i mean i don't know if this is just because of my background or anything but if i see a woman standing at a gallows which with a bunch of pilgrims staring at them i'm a little uneasy this woman has probably been through a lot and she's probably being executed for reasons that are less than just right if this town already hates them because they think that they practice witchcraft which they do they're not going to come around to them this easily and when they do like this weird show jumping off the roof, nobody's going to think this is really nice and fun. People are still accused of witchcraft today and get scarily close to the types of things that happened in the time of the pilgrims, if not actually uh, executed for it around right. the world. Yeah, I think that it's supposed to be the the read on it is supposed to be like and the townspeople have come to accept them and it's just isn't it this 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 crazy the thing the entire that these... island has come to accept them and now we watch them float off the roof and nobody calls the judge right everybody's <laughs> just totally fine with it and everybody's yep. cool and i'm now just realizing that it's a really appropriate bookend for maria at the very beginning it's all about ah. her stepping off of a platform and everybody responding with fear as opposed to now at the end it's a community of women right. stepping off of a platform together floating down and being celebrated for it now they can because be entertainers everybody could be a witch yeah yay <laughs> yeah yeah and and like you said i like it more after talking about it right okay i'm glad but it is super cheesy <laughs> yes. and it also is just kind of the the movie and this is the problem that happens over and over again 
there's times it takes itself so seriously sometimes and then not seriously at all other times. And that can work for some movies. This It doesn't work for this one. My only thing at the end is thinking, okay, how long until they literally burn these women at the stake? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is an isolated, weird community where weird stuff has been going on forever anyway. And people are cool with them being witches right now. And like we said, that happened for no reason narrative convenience but yeah yeah for, but but no reason for the actual characters there's never other than the fact that maybe maybe the and here we go <laughs> if you ever have a question about something it's magic <laughs> maybe when sally or when jillian put sally's name as the top of the phone tree it also meant that when sally invoked the power of the phone tree Everyone below her would immediately say yes to whatever and be enthusiastic about it and come out and do it. Like, that is the power of a phone tree in general, right? Where I'm calling you to tell you what's going on and you have to do it and call the next person. Right. But then once again, we're having... Why not just say that? (laughs) But then once again, we're having an instance of magic being used to remove people's free will to the benefit of a very few amount of people who wield power that nobody else has access right. to. And if that was possible, why didn't they bewitch the island, you know, centuries before to be like, don't hate us? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't I don't get it. And I really do think that it's supposed to be that I've come to accept myself and I am acknowledging the magic within the feminine in you and by the women feeling empowered by that the whole community because the community cannot exist without the sorority of women. Everybody comes together and they've now just come to accept it and everything is happy. And it's once again, stars hollow. I think that that's, it is. There, there are, I was reminded a lot of the Gilmore girls. Yeah. That's how Hallett is acting. Like he says, it's kind of like the twilight zone, but when he's kind of looking around and falling in love with the quaint of everything, yep. like it, it gives you kind of a Gilmore girls sort of vibe. It totally does. And the Gilmore girls are very, you can write off a lot of the things that happen in Gilmore girls to being magic, to being witchcraft. And, and cause it's a very fairy tale you know story there's there's not a lot of realism going on there and that's what i kept trying to say about this movie is like remember the least believable part of this movie is not the witchcraft it's all these other weird plot jumps that goes around (laughs) that's the kind of two everything's wrapped up in a neat little package at the end and now this the curse is broken on the owens women so she can marry hallett and they will live happily ever after and what does that mean going forward for you know, the children and the Owenses in general. What does this mean about the empowerment of women as well? Because there's oftentimes people talk about how if the point to the story is just that she was supposed to get married and be in love, does that undermine all of the empowerment that she's, you know, finally got after all her trials going forward? And is that made on a bigger scale when we think about how now the Owens women won't have that tragedy anymore, which is a good thing. Won't have their husbands die for mm-hmm. no reason whatsoever, um, other than the curse. But does it also mean that they've now become normal? They've now become what Sally wanted to be the whole time, but that we were told shouldn't be what she wants the whole time. Well, Sally's very much a contradiction in that she keeps wanting things and pretending that she doesn't. Like She doesn't want to fall in love because that would be so awful and it killed Mother. But, and also, it kills that pigeon for no reason. <laughs> like that's, that was brutal. That's when I should have I should have known right away that this movie was going to be a lot more intense than I expected it to be. And not even just ki- like, dove, killed with a very sharp 
thin needle. And like, it's that's, scared. Like, it's... That's horrible. Yeah. And the girls are watching. Yeah. that That's not a good example of witchcraft. That is... Like, you will not find in any witchcraft or Wicca books that you can buy at chapters about how to sacrifice animals. That's not not cool. That's not what we do. So, as far as example, like, offensive examples of witchcraft, that's... It starts with one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it means for the future, because I think that, like, the magic is going to continue to be real. I think it's going to continue to pass through the women. It's going to continue to be powerful in the feminine. I think it's just going to be more acceptable in that community. And I don't know. I think that they're just going to be held in in higher regard and no longer as ostracized as they were. It's going to be kind of like this magical little corner of the island. But I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not worried about their future. I am worried about the, you know, like like you mentioned that everything's wrapped up in a neat little package because she's able to have a man in a movie that's yeah so much about the love of women. Yeah, and independence and choosing your own destiny and things like that. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, just watch Frozen instead, people. Just, <laughs> just watch Frozen instead. <laughs> I can totally see the comparison between that and this movie and how much better Frozen pulled it off. It, if Practical Magic had specifically made the romantic plot a back like a back take a back seat it might have worked a lot better instead of it being the last shot right of the movie yeah is them sandra bullock kissing a dude like that's you can't get much more rom-com trope than sandra bullock kissing a guy before the credits yeah that's true all right so the way that i always like to wrap these up i think that that covers pretty much all the all the stuff that we wanted to talk about so what I want to invite you to do is uh, to, to tell me when you put this into your own Netflix profile. So five stars has loved it. Four stars has really liked it. Three stars liked it. Two stars didn't like it. One star hated it. And that's the that's the official Netflix right. kind of description for what each of these star ratings means. And your MVP who kind of stood out maybe above the chaos that was this movie. <laughs> okay, well, I actually, the whole, all of today I was thinking I'm going to give this a two, but I didn't realize that two was actually didn't like it. I didn't actively dislike this movie. Um, it has a lot of problems, but I was still charmed by it. I still found a lot of it to be cute. And also I was really uh, swayed by the description and the portrayal of witchcraft. It made me feel, I, I was texting you about it and I said it made me feel more religious. <laughs> um, which I think is nice. That's that's not happened to me um, in a long time when it comes to movies. So I would guess three. Three is liked it? Liked it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, I would say three. I would watch this movie again. Uh, to be honest. Yeah, I know you would not, um, but I would watch this movie again, knowing that um, it's not at all what I expected it to be, and knowing that it's a lot sillier than I thought it was going to be. It takes itself too seriously sometimes and takes itself not seriously enough other times. Um, my MVP, I'm going to I'm gonna throw you a curveball here. My MVP for this uh, movie is the house that it was shot in. Okay. I thought that was the coolest part of the movie and that it stood out as a character unto itself. Um, did you notice the house? Like, was that something that you were... Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you mentioned the pantry when, yeah, they're, when, yeah. they're, when they're mixing everything up. Like, that was wonderful. The kitchen that they had, all the, the space that they had, the fact that the kitchen is a source of magic. Like, that's where they mix up all the magical margaritas. That's where they try to bring Jimmy back from the dead. Right, with the whipped cream, which I thought was a great touch. Yes. (laughs) 
um yeah it's like especially the idea of the the uh the kitchen being a place of magic and yeah. that particular kitchen was a wonderful space. Yeah. The uh, parlor type room that they had the actual exorcism in and everything like that. That shot where she's looking down the staircase and it's that incredible spiral staircase going down, which is in all horror movies ever. Um, yeah, I just thought it was amazing. And it made if, if that had not been shot in that house, the magic would not have worked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that was what made me really believe that, okay, this is an established magical family that has been around for hundreds of years because look how awesome this house is. Yeah. They know what to do in this house. The garden where they grow all their herbs and everything like that, fantastic. It was my favorite part of uh, the movie. Obviously, it didn't have to perform, um, but yeah, that was my, that's my MVP. That's what, that's yeah. what made the movie more believable. <laughs> to be a witchcraft movie and not like there's there's the physical construction of the house itself but also the property they had yes like the the beachfront property yep where you can go and play on the rocks and go straight up to the to the ocean and the like veranda (laughs) it's an amazing space yep and Uh, that was all made just for the the movie mm -hmm. yeah uh for me unabashedly too two stars i uh, didn't care for it um <laughs> you like it a little better now, now that we've talked about it though i like i like that it seems like it was trying very genuinely to be respectful of something that it itself didn't really understand like there's there's an effort that is seems really undisciplined right and doesn't it doesn't know what it's doing but there are some elements that you do you do feel that magic you feel a bit of wonder you feel a bit of emotional resonance with some of the characters some of the time but it's just it's so inconsistent and so unbridled and so uncertain about what it's trying to do that i cannot in good conscience recommend this that being said sandra bullock is my mvp possibly because of not having too many other options i didn't really care for nicole kidman's performance i think that was partially because she's supposed to be kind of the bad egg which I believed that she was, but, uh, you know, Sandra Bullock is, she's somebody who, whenever I hear people rant and rave about her, I'm like, what's the big deal? And then I watch a Sandra Bullock movie, I'm like, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> because, you know, she she does have, like, she she covers everything that she needs to be doing in this movie. She's She's goofy when it suits the story. She's earnest when it suits the story. She cries really well. Like, it's just a really really competent performance that while surrounded by a bunch of other nonsense, it didn't, it, it kind of stood out for being consistent and actually good all the way through. Yep. I agree. And Sandra Bullock would be my MVP if I didn't want to pick the house. Um, but I, as I said before, I just wish that she had been used a bit better. I think that the character that she was given to play was not as well-rounded as a character that she is capable of playing. Right. Yeah. And she did an amazing job with a, a, a shoddy script. So. Right. Well, that's going to wrap up the whole discussion about practical magic. Thank you so much for being here, Caroline. I cannot imagine any other person I would rather talk about this movie with. <laughs> that being said, I can't imagine having ever had any reason to watch this movie aside from you wanting to do this. So I know you actually really hate me for picking this movie. Well, I was looking forward to the discussion for the sake of having the conversation with you i regret that watching this movie was part of that but but (laughs) 
but I know I do appreciate you coming on and 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 helping open my eyes. That was that was the whole idea of learning a learning maybe a different way to appreciate this. And I guess I hate it a bit less because of it. So oh, thank I'm you glad. for that. Good. <laughs> we'll tell Griffin Dunn. All right. Thanks so much, Caroline. Thank you. That's going to be everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you've heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms, starting with Facebook at facebook.com slash netflixpodcast. Over on Tumblr, you can find us at netflixpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Twitter at NetflixPod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore. And you can also follow Caroline at Deezen. That's D-I-E-Z-Y-N. If you'd like to support the show, why not head over to iTunes and subscribe so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. And special thanks are owed for this week's episode to Caroline Deezen for graciously providing the space to record. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix podcast. And be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet. She's this amazing domestic woman who cares about her family, but she mainly uses her magic practically to help the house keep tidy and to try to take care of her five kids. Right. And her... Should have magicked some birth control there. (laughs) 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 Oh, Jesus. Anyway, yes, I think... That, Menstruous good... interruptus. Is that another Harry Potter thing? No, I was saying that... Well, that's what they would call the spell if it was oh, like... Oh, nice. Mm. <laughs> Pointing the wand at her uterus. There we go. Get J.K. Rowling on the phone. <laughs> <laughs>